Coming up next on episode 77 of Attention Plus, Arnab talks about what else but the ongoing COVID epidemic. This episode of Attention Plus with Arnab Ray is sponsored by the publisher of the book India Was One. Have you ever imagined India being divided into two countries? What happens to the millions of Indians who have migrated to other parts of the country? The story follows a couple trapped in this very situation. How will they cope with their world turning upside down? Will India become one again? You'll have to read to find out. India Was One is available on Flipkart and also to subscribers of uh, Kindle Unlimited. We thank the publishers for sponsoring all videos and podcasts from the Talking Stuff Network for this month. And uh, we'll of course, we'll have a link to the book in the show notes. So do check it out. And now on with the show. Let me bring in your host, Arnab. Hey, Arnab. Uh, how are Hi, you? hello. I'm doing okay. Uh, we're, I'm alive and that's pretty much given the times, that's possibly the best we can say. Yeah. <laughs> so what so, are we going to talk about today? So today we're going to talk about obviously the only thing that's dominating the news is is COVID-19. Um, and it was kind of, uh, this is something which I've been reading up a lot about uh, over the last few last week i would say but more than that i've been reading it about reading about it since the crisis in italy really started before that i also didn't realize the magnitude of the situation i thought it would be like stuff that happens in other places um, not going to happen here and uh, now that's obviously not true we are we are, we are faced with um, i mean let's not uh, i mean there is this there's always this tendency to either underappreciate or you know, go the other route and call it an end of days. This is not the end of days. Or this is not a zombie apocalypse, though it does seem like it over here. If you go to the grocery stores or if you go outside, this this is something obviously that people have never seen in their lifetimes, in several lifetimes. Uh, what is? I mean, I stay in Los Angeles, so uh, this is this is a city which has uh, particularly been under siege, and uh, there has been essentially a mandatory curfew which has been put here which means people can't go out unless they want to buy groceries and they uh, unless they buy groceries or they're going to a doctor's um, you can still there are some places which are open in the sense that they are they have been deemed as exempt from this so actually I work in a company which which is exempt because we're in healthcare so um, though I've been working from home uh, but it's it's Again, it's it is very difficult. I, I would say it's 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 not just it's not just stressful, and it's also difficult to keep your I would say equilibrium uh, from uh, unvalidated optimism, which sometimes somebody you know you want to think that things are going to get better, but then the mass of evidence that comes up, the mass of numbers. And then when you look at the numbers also, you realize that they are being presented in a particular context, which if you if you spend a little bit of time, you'll realize that the numbers don't actually establish what the conclusion is. And so much of the, and this is coming from reputed news sources like the LA Times, and I've, I've been seeing it repeatedly. So we'll talk a little bit about those things, you know, how to interpret numbers and what's good and what is bad. For first of all, the one thing that I wanted to start off with was let's first understand why, what makes in the very essence, what makes COVID-19 to be so dangerous. It's dangerous because it's a almost a, it's almost a, 
perfectly engineered virus. It's again, if I if I say engineer, I'm not I'm not saying that a human being has engineered it. I'm saying that in terms of its engineering, it's it's almost perfect in what it intends to do. And again, this is this is not science, but more the novelist in me speaking. But it seems to be almost a a weapon of Darwinian extinction, if you if you think of it. It is it is directed. It is almost like directed specifically. It's a heat-seeking missile which targets those that the weakest in the society. You know, in terms of their health, it is, and it it and 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 it's not by almost it's not by accident. Almost there's been an enormous amount of thought. Again, I I'm not presuming that there's a human being who's thinking it, but imagine yourself that there is. That there is a Thanos-like character who's sitting here and who's who who this rather than the five infinity stones, they there is this thing called COVID-19. And so COVID-19, what makes it such a smart thing, if you think about it, is that it's pretty much like the flu virus in terms of its fatality rate. Now, right now it's and we'll talk about it. Right now, its fatality rate seems higher than the flu, but the, 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 the reason for that is pretty simple if you think about it. Because of the lack of testing, a um, lot more people have the COVID virus than, than is being reported, which means the denominator of people who have it is much larger. And that the people who, who make the numbers are essentially people who are going to the hospitals and who are winding up in hospitals. So obviously among that population, there is going to be a higher amount of people who are going to die. So it is because of the bias in the testing right now that the numbers seem a little bit more, quite a bit more alarming than they actually are in terms of comparison to the mortality rate of the normal seasonal influenza. However, that still doesn't establish my hypothesis as to why it's such so perfectly engineered. It's perfectly engineered because unlike the normal influenza virus, it is it has a very high virality. It lives on surfaces for much longer times. And once it infects people, it stays dormant for a much longer period of time, which allows it to spread itself. And, and the second thing about it is that it does not do too much damage. If it was like Ebola or MERS, it would just kill you. So you get it, you die. Now, that's not particularly good for you, nor is it particularly good for COVID because it just means it couldn't transmit itself and every person it infects is essentially a terminal node in its propagation. A virus basically exists to propagate itself. Think of it again. This is an artistic representation. It's not just a cell. It is an organism which spans human beings. So it it is in a way it has a mind of its own, taking decisions that help it to become bigger to reproduce itself, uh, the, uh, uh, the basic impetus of every living being. But, it, but the decision is not being taken at a level of a virus, a unit of a virus, but as a much larger organism. So it, does, it, it doesn't kill the host. It kills a very few number of people, but it infects a huge number of people. And because it infects a huge number of people, even if you have flu-like rates, the number will just be much more, much, much more. And that is the challenge of COVID. It is, it is the Gundam style of, 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 of viruses. So again, it's, it's very viral. 
it's not something which is which you will particularly remember many people will many people would have forgotten but at one point of time this was this everybody knew it and now people have forgotten it and that's and that's the smart thing of anything which is which is viral so given given that and it's and again it's i i i when i was thinking of what to do for this podcast i didn't just want to um repeat what you're hearing everywhere i wanted to think about some other things and 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 possibly which you <coughs> possibly which you haven't been thinking of so first of all let's talk with the numbers so a lot of articles and this is what i wanted to kind of focus on is that the numbers is numbers by themselves don't make much sense well one of the very common things that you see is the cumulative number of cases now a cumulative number of cases is by this very nature cumulative means it will always increase right it's cumulative so if you see the red big red circles and they look scary but what does that really mean of course the cumulative circles will always grow and that number in the count will always keep going up so yes it's true but other than causing panic what other actionable intelligence are you getting from it and this is very important for in times like this and it's very easy to panic is very easy to think that we're going to die essentially and there's no getting around it you know some of us are so um not to sugarcoat that but it's also it's also important that we keep our heads on our shoulders and not get emotionally moved by these numbers this is not like this is not a kumar shanu song so you have to you have to think about what those numbers mean and you know elon musk got into trouble kind of a few days ago when he says when he sent an email to his employees saying your odds of death here are less than that of a car crash you should worry more about i mean if you if you're not scared of you know going out and drive a car then you shouldn't be scared of covid-19 and if you look at the numbers that's numerically that's right actually so far and uh, but but the, but the truth is that no one really has the numbers that's first thing is that whatever numbers you see aren't the real numbers now that that by itself should make you more panicky but that's not always true because of the vast number of because of the vast under testing that is happening fatality in the sense started in my in in the initial part of my uh, monologue is that fatality rates look high there is there is one place where i with somebody posted this figure which was in italy the number of people who are being released from hospitals and the number of people who are dying is basically 50-50 and so this person's logic was that you know we should look at outcomes because when we look at the number of people who are being you know being how how do we know how many people are recovering we should see how many people are recovering versus how many people are dying that's the that's the real figure that we should be tracking and that comes out to 50% now if if you are shitting in your pants right now look hearing that take a step back who are who is that clinical outcome of being free you know how is that being calculated that is being calculated exclusively of people who went to the hospital and who got tested once at intake and once at outtake okay so yes if you are going to the hospital if you have to get admitted yes possibly that is right at that point of time your life is dawa ki nahi dua ki zarurat hai at that point of time 
because then at least the numbers from Italy say that you're 50-50. But the fact is most people are not getting admitted. Hell, most people don't even know they have COVID-19. So in a way, that number is skewed. If you see that number and if you don't understand the context, that this is not a case where every you don't know. If, if I if, think about Tom Hanks, right? Tom Hanks gets tested. He's a person, he's over 60 and he has diabetes. He recovers with no problem. He sits at home. He doesn't go to the hospital. Now, because he's Tom Hanks, he gets tested. So first, you know that he has COVID-19. There are a gazillion number of people like Tom Hanks who you don't know. Second is because Tom Hanks is a celebrity, you know that he's recovered. You know he's recovered without any damage to himself. In all other cases, you don't even know. Even if Tom Hanks was lucky enough. So let's say he go, go, he's one of the very lucky few who happened to go to a hospital and is able to get tested. Say oh, a guy who's above 60 and has diabetes has COVID-19. He immediately enters the figures of pre-existing conditions, COVID-19, pre-existing con- um, age, COVID-19. It's never, and then he sent home, right? Because he doesn't have any symptoms that, you know, make him, you know, that, that will allow him to get hospitalized. So he goes home and then a week later, he's fine. But that number, you know, he doesn't go back there and people say, oh, that remember that guy we tested earlier, he's recovered. And that testing will never happen. The two tests 24 hours later, unless you'd, of course, Tom Hanks. But for a normal guy, that person, that test, those two tests will not happen. So that person will enter the system, but that person will never exit the system and will be part of that data that you see. So what you're seeing is extremely overinflated. First, because people are not getting tested. And even the people who are getting tested and are being sent home, they are not being removed from the roster of COVID-19 patients. The only people who are getting removed from the roster of COVID-19 patients are people who have gone to the hospital, are being either discharged from the hospital alive or are being discharged dead. They are the only people who are being, whose clinical outcome is being resolved and whose numbers you see on that scorecard. The rest you don't see. So I'm not saying that the num- that you should be more or less worried. I would be less worried because obviously because the denominator of the people who have it is much larger. But the fact is most of the data that we see and that we are, and then of course, the reporters and the pressmen, they interpret the data without, without giving these caveats. If you look at the data for a little while, you'll try to, if you think about it, you'll realize, wait, I'm feeling panicky at this data, but this data doesn't tell me anything, Dean. So that's, that's one thing. And the second thing is that when you look at countries and you try to compare between, let's say, in Italy and in US, you know, those countries aren't the same because the numbers we get do not account. First of all, they're not normalized for population. So people will say, look at the rate the, the, in, in the US, the numbers are much go at the, the rate at which the numbers are increasing is even higher than Italy. Well, yeah, because US is a much larger country. So obviously the number of infections will be much bigger in, in, in the US than Italy. So the per, per, let's say, million, I mean, it should be normalized for populations. None of these figures that I've seen, the graphs don't account for they don't account for the total population. And again, total population is perhaps also not a good parameter on which to normalize on. What should be normalized on is basically clustering, is the where you are. So let's take the example of US. So I used to stay in the suburbs of Chicago about one and a half year ago. It's almost coming to two years. 
And the thing that I liked about Chicago and which I hate about Los Angeles is that there was just so much more space. So if you went to the shopping mall, if you went to the grocery store, even the parking space you got was more. When you went into the grocery store, there were just fewer people. there. If you went into the movie theater, there were just, you would perhaps three or four people in a movie theater. Here, I've never gone to a movie theater and I've seen three or four people, no matter how crappy the movie is or how old the movie is. So it's just that there is so many people packed into a lesser amount of space. So the spread of the virus obviously is going to be more in a place like this. The, if you go to Montana, for instance, the curve will rise much more slowly because the odds of touching the same thing, I mean, there might be 100 guys in Montana with COVID-19. There might be 100 guys in, with COVID-19 in, in the area in LA that I am in. So let's take you know, five square miles. Let's say there are 100 in Montana, there are 100 in five square miles in California. There, first of all, there won't be in Montana 100 because there won't be 100 people in five square miles. But let's presume that's the case. But even if we go out for groceries, because of much fewer people will grow out there for groceries. And because of that, the odds of you touching the same thing as a COVID positive guy is going to be much smaller in Montana than it's going to be here. Because there's just going to be more people at any point of time in a grocery store. And some grocery stores here are trying to contain that by restricting the number of people in a grocery store at a, at, at, at a certain point of time. They kind of caught on as to what really the problem is. The problem is the number of people together but that's because of the n- amount of time the covid can stay it doesn't really matter because even if the person has left the building they haven't really left the covid is still there is tarah aashiqui ka asar chhod jaunga kind of thing it's there <laughs> so tere chehre pe apni nazar chhod jaunga it's they've already imtihan kind of talked about covid long time ago so um, you never thought Stanidiol was the virus, right? That's the twist. Anyways, so that's one of the things. So when you compare, if you compare the number in this country versus that country, it's it's not a fair comparison. Even in within a country, it's not a fair comparison because because it's because they they're just not similar countries. Take another example. If you're trying to compare. Um, America with Europe, first of all, you have to understand that the lifestyle of of Americans is very different from the lifestyle of of Europe. And I've lived in both countries for some time. So in Europe, um, houses are much smaller. Um, The way people look at houses is basically they come to houses to sleep. I mean, there's not a lot of things which you can do in your house. It's just too small um, in the cities. So people spend a lot of time in cafes and open areas and town centers and all public transport. Yes. And public transport, because this, because the life itself is more communal. It's it's when I say communal, I don't mean the communal that we think here, but it's more in terms of the community. People don't stay isolated in houses. They go out, they sit outside um, and they have a much more and, Public transport. In the US, people have bigger houses. They commute in their own personal vehicles. They never go on public transport. So in a way, social isolation is kind of built into the life of the American. 
So of course, the spread will ultimately the, the the lifestyle is not the same. So when you compare Italy with America, you have to understand that they don't the the propagation factor is not likely to be on the same order. Now, of course, perhaps LA because of the higher concentration of people they, that might then be comparable to Italy. But to say that the US is on the same curve as Italy is again misinterpreting the numbers. Montana or South Dakota is not going to have the same kind of trajectory ever that Italy had, and it's not because it's uh, the healthcare there is better or because they're lucky. It's just the people there live on big ranches, and they, they, they're very highly unlikely to touch the same place where a virus is residing. It's just, that's just the way it is. So countries cannot be compared because this because the virus is so much a function of how we live our lives also when you consider and you look at two of the countries in europe that have been western europe and, and another thing you will see that numbers are not coming from eastern europe at all what about you know the the central asian republics i mean are there, that's the second thing is that countries countries which are isolated are going to not have that impact because if if you if there are a few very few international airports and not a lot of people come to your country, then it's so much more easier to uh, regulate things at the ports of entry. It's only Western liberal democracies and US, which has uh, international airport in every goddamn state, that is going to be really screwed because it's just, just too many entry and exit points of the country. And Italy, again, is a place where it just happens to be at you know a tourist hotspot. It, also, and even though Italy's healthcare system is fairly good, but it's not a coincidence that Italy and Spain are the ones that are most affected. And these are the two European countries which happen to have the places which I would call which has the least rule of law in Western Europe. If you've ever driven on an Italian road, you would know. So these places, there's also that if there's also an disregard for the law. And this is very, very important. This is very important in these times, because one of the hallmarks of Western societies, so-called the exalted Western societies, has been a stress on personal freedoms. Remember those guys with the problems with the Aadhaar card? You know, that, that whole personal freedom thing? All right. All right. Look at the countries which are doing a good job of controlling. I mean, these are quasi-authoritarian like China and quasi-authoritarian like Singapore. Because they, these governments, they don't give a flying F about your data. They're going to find your biometrics, your location, and this is what's needed in these times. It is important for you, for the government to know, for somebody who is COVID-19 suspect or affected, you know, where they are. Because you know the other otherwise you you come to a place like what's happening in us where you're basically shutting down cities if if they had a inventory of who is likely with covid and if there was no data privacy laws and if you didn't have hum aadhar nahi kagaz nahi dikhayenge kind of people then the government would know where where these people are they would be restricted i mean the technology is there this is not 1918 when the spanish flu happened but in because but in europe 
you and, and now you're also in California, you have things like right to forget, which means I own my data. And if I say that I don't want my data, you, you cannot have my data. So this is where liberal democracies will suffer the most when you have pandemics like this, when it's when the government needs to have your data, even when you don't want to give the data, this, this whole thing that I will give my data when I want to. This is problematic. As we saw with Kanika Kapoor, there is an individual reason for you not to give your data to the government when you're sick. You want to hide the fact that you are sick. So in that case, it's not a voluntary submission of your data to the government. The government has to actually come in and get your data, even if you don't want to give your data. So people turn around and say, Dekho, kitna, look at our government. You're not doing things like Are, yaar, five in a few months ago, you were shouting about Aadhaar and now you're saying this. You can't have it both ways. This is in these kinds of situations. You actually want to be in an authoritarian state. Now, I know these are rumors, but I've heard, but there have been like some articles which said that North Korea shot their COVID-19, the guys who were with COVID-19. Now, I'm pretty sure this is wrong. I'm pretty sure this is false. But it, but in North Korea, it could be true. But this is an extreme case of, this is an extreme case of authoritarianism. I'm not endorsing it, but this is one way of controlling COVID-19. This is the extreme way of controlling COVID-19. And then there is the Hong Kong method. Then there is the Singapore method. Then there is the China method, which has severe restrictions on your personal liberties. The fact that the government can come and check in on you. They can ask you to take pictures. That's what I read that, that in Hong Kong, you, you're basically given an app and the government can check in on you and say, okay, take a picture of where you are and send it to us right now. So that they know that you are not violating the curfew. This is the level at which the government needs to track. And this cannot be done in uh, I own my data, you know, that kind of I am supreme. I mean, I am I am independent, liberal. I mean, no, the government can't do that whole libertarian thing doesn't work. In fact, uh, there's this tweet. I'm, I just found it by uh, tweeted by Milo Hisse. I'm sure I'm pronouncing uh, his name wrong. And he is somebody in Taiwan and he says, my phone, which is satellite tracked by the Taiwan government to enforce quarantine, ran out of battery at 7.30 a.m. By 8.15, four different units called me. And by 8.20, the police were knocking at my door. See, this is, the, this is what's needed to control COVID-19. This is what's needed in order to prevent civilization collapse. Or you close every goddamn thing and bleed the economy dry. Because it doesn't need to be. The whole country doesn't need to be shut down. It's still about a thousand people, perhaps in the US at this point of time, totally unscientific. There are 20,000 people with COVID at this today. Max, 20,000. This is way more than what's on the official thing, but let's say 20,000 people, which is still a drop in the total population of US. If you could find those 20,000 people and essentially do exactly something like that, you could control this within two weeks done but you can't because a legal framework of privacy and individual rights have been and you could say well of course we need that otherwise we have a police state well guess what sometimes you're better off in a police state and your life is dependent on it so this is not again the problem with the problem with any extreme with libertarian extremes and any extreme is that they forget 
that there are very, very good reasons why you need a strong government. Why? I mean, there, there are times, especially in terms of crisis. And that's why, I mean, if you look through history, that's exactly what is what has happened, is that as nations, as wars have become more infrequent, as people have started, as people have kind of forgotten why we needed government in the first place. I mean, nobody in World War II was talking about data privacy in the US. Neither were they talking about data privacy in Europe, by the way, at that point of time. Then sometime around the 60s and 70s and 80s, when actually the world became less dangerous, people then started obsessing about their own individual liberties and they forgot. And the government also, I mean, under the face of public pressure in a liberal democracy, unlike in China, they will ultimately have to They'll ultimately have to give in. And now in 2020, you find what's the problem with that? The next thing that I want to talk about is Trump. Now, again, it's, it's, you, can, you can kind of keep on ranting on what a disaster Trump has been. And, and that's, that's this point of time is obvious. You know, this guy cares. He's a, he's a moron and he cares only for himself and his own re-election and his own friends and his own family. And he's also goddamn stupid. That's also true. I mean, he's just, He's just a rich guy who was born into enormous amount of money. He lived his life basically scamming people and not intelligent scamming. He's not like the guys you see in Narcos, Mexico, who are like poor people with no education, but like take insane risks, you know, do insanely inspired things and become the kings of the world. He's nothing like that. Okay. He's a low level, stupid crook with a lot of money, a lot of money of his own, which he has lost actually. So he hasn't even made money for himself. So he's basically lost a lot of money. The only positives that he got from God was essentially he's a white guy who he's a white guy with the proper contacts, which he had. And he was in New York real estate. And he he, he, he was able to project this aura of success. And that's the reason why he never gives his tax returns because he doesn't have it. He, there's no nothing behind those. So he basically lives a life of, you know, he's, everything is a con job. Now, of course, he, you can say that as a, as a president, he's been an extremely successful con man, and I'll give you that. But, and America, uh, and, and, and America basically elected him because you know, for some people, he represents the, you know, the, the white supremacy that they, the, the, let's say white majoritarianism. And we've talked about this many times, whether it's good or bad or whatever, but he represents the only white majoritarian candidate that people have seen for many years. So those people are in any case going to vote for Trump. It doesn't matter what happens. If and if this country gets wiped out and there is, uh, you know, uh, riots on the streets, they'll still vote for Trump. So those people are gone. But obviously Trump is going to lose the next election after this. I mean, he re- himself realizes it that after this, that's, that's gone. And that's why he panics. That's why he says one thing one day and he's, he's, he's become a buffoon, but th- there's only so much you can flog on Trump, but there's something which is something a little bit more insidious. So even if let's say Trump hadn't been elected and if it had been Ted Cruz, let's say, he wouldn't have been, he wouldn't have been a buffoon or he wouldn't have been a criminal or he wouldn't have had been impeached, but he would have been a Republican. And here's what Trump and the Republican administration has done over the last few years is because, because of their commitment to limited government, which is essentially reducing taxes for rich people, they have, which is okay, except if they know where to cut, they don't cut in military spending, which they don't because they're in their pockets. 
But what they have cut is they have cut things like the National Institute of Health's budget. They have cut pandemic preparation. They have cut these things because they take decisions. And this, I'm not talking about Trump. This any Republican president would have done. It's because their fundamental mindset is that they look upon government as if it's a company. That they bring their private sector decision-making paradigms into government. And they think that we have to cut flap. We have to cut redundancies. We have to prioritize the likely but low impact, the low-hanging fruit. You know, this is standard WebEx talk, low-hanging fruit, over the unlikely with high-impact things. Now, this might work in a business, but this does not work in government. A government cannot prioritize low-hanging fruit. This is precisely the wrong way of running a government. A government cannot be run like a business. God damn it. A government, and you know, the reason why you cannot run government like a business is because people, the lives of people cannot be written off balance sheets as, as sunk assets. You just can't. If this was a company and, you know, cutting out, cutting out the budget of NIH, cutting out uh, 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 pandemic preparedness is a good business decision. Of course, and it still is. You know, if you can point, if 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 this not if, if this was not the lives of people but assets, you would say, oh, good. Uh, about uh, two million of my least performing assets, which are old people and people with underlying conditions, will no longer be there. This is it was a good decision. But these are lives. So the whole paradigm of this private industry, you know, maximizing. Profit that CEO thing just doesn't work. I mean, forget the fact that Trump is an ineffectual and ineffectual idiot who cannot do anything. Even if it, even if he was a good Republican president, if he was Mitt Romney, let's say, even then this would have happened. I would say maybe not as bad, but it would have happened because of uh, the the Republican the their almost doctrine, the the basic doctrine of on which the Republican Party exists is totally unsuited to these kinds of black swan events because they don't, and companies don't think of black swan events. That's why 2008 happened because they can't. It's understandable why companies cannot think of it. Companies cannot think of it because of course, there are a gazillion number of unlikely things that can happen with extremely high impact. And if you think about all those things, you'll never make a profit. Totally understandable from a private industry perspective. But that's not the reason why we have government because the government is entrusted with the lives of people. And in th that case, the high impact, even low probability events have to be prioritized over the likely and low impact. The, we, the government is not supposed to go after low hanging fruit. They're supposed to go for the nests made by birds very, very high up in the branches. That is the, the objective of government is very different, should be very different from the private sector. And this is something which I personally cannot reconcile myself. I like many facts. I like many facets of the Republican platform, but this is possibly that fundamental. I mean, forget the racism part of it. You know, if you, if you read books written by Republicans, then, it's, then that's not a part of it. But this minimum government, it's also good. Minimum government is also a good thing. And there are things in the US which which no Republican will touch, which is, which is the government, size of the government. They won't touch some parts of the government. But they will do this. They will go for, uh, you know, who cares for the NIH budgets? They will go for these things. And normally the, nobody cares, right? Except when something like this happens. 
if the us had been able to do what it's now trying to do if it had just done it in the month of january or even in the first half of february we would have had to shut down all these cities so many people wouldn't have been without jobs we wouldn't all be scared shitless if they had just done this shit a few months ago and they knew by the way as we are now currently finding out the government knew that's why in the us republican you know republican senators sold off millions in dollars of their stocks because they knew the market was going to tank they knew that they were sitting at the end of civilization effectively but they publicly said nothing is going to happen and they sold all their stocks so it's not they're not stupid they knew where this was going they knew how how prepared or not prepared they were and this i believe is criminal i mean this again nothing is going to happen to them but you know you really wish for an authoritarian state at this point of time you know this kind of this kind of public corruption that that we see in the us this kind of i mean this is again trump is to blame for the mismanagement and just for being a moron but this would have happened under any republican i'm positive about this next thing i want to discuss was again my my obsession with scientists and engineers is that look at it when the shit really hits the fan you guess who the world looks to they don't look to the managers and the politicians they look to the scientists you know they look to dr fauci every day you know what he says and the thing is he doesn't give much hope he just he, trump says something he makes a face and then he basically says all of it is a lie and he doesn't give hope because that's the way science is supposed to be one of the things that i have been told often in in corporate life is that if you want to ascend in in private industry your job is to be optimistic your job is to high essentially tell your bosses that everything is going to be all right if you are the guy who tells the bosses all these you know uh, the sky is going to fall the sky is going to fall this bad shit might happen this bad shit might happen you will not never be seen as management material you'll be seen as a technical material even though it might be true and so dr fauci is the guy who's saying that the sky is going to fall or the sky has already fallen but today this is the time when he when people like him get to come to the forefront because the because nobody trusts anybody else other than him when trump said that you know chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine whatever that the version of quinine that is <laughs> yes and that other drug is and he he basically came and said so wait so what trump was trying to say let me say something in in defense of trump what trump is saying is that trump again since he doesn't understand things and he says he's a, he's a stupid as a brick so he says we found a cure this is it this is fucking game changer so he what he says is if you look at what dr fauci says the full text of what he says is that you know he gives a very measured response he says, look man we this is not a cure you know in order for something to be called a cure it has to be scientifically and clinically validated now if it gives people hope i understand that part so you yeah, understand that hope part of it maybe in some cases if the patient and the doctor agree you know they can go for it this is you know what is the harm i mean essentially if you're dying then you, you know whatever you give me if it if, if, if the consequence is anything other than me dying i'll take it so at that point of time it's fine but there is no you cannot say this that this is a game changer you cannot 
make this claim because at any point of time, Dr. Fauci, whenever he speaks, he has that scientists, he has that something which is inbuilt to scientists that I will never say something which I cannot empirically prove. And the last thing that Trump ever thinks is if there is any truth backing what he's saying, that is the last thing that comes to his mind. And that is the way a con man thinks. But Dr. Fauci, that's why he's incapable of saying something unless he unless he thinks I can get this published in nature. Every sentence of that comes out of his mouth can be published in the best journal in the world because that's the way he thinks. And he's a super scientist. So every word that comes out of his mouth, he will never say something. So he always has caveats for things which have not been scientifically proven. And what I'm trying to say is when the shit really hits the fan, that's what people listen to. They don't listen to the huckster. They don't, they, they don't listen to the reality TV star. Even his biggest supporters won't listen to him after some time. I mean, they will still vote for him. They won't vote for a Dr. Fauci, but they'll vote for, they'll vote for him because he'll still be entertaining and he'll still be racist and he'll still be what they love about him. That's not going to be a problem, but they still will not listen to him when it's about their, about their own life and death. Now I've been getting, you know, from having some conversations with friends and people ask me, you know, what do you think is going to happen? And I, Honestly, what I believe, at least in the US, and again, people will be saying, why, why, why am I talking about India? I'm going to come to India. Um, but currently, since I'm in the US and my mind is, of course, I'm trying to stay alive, just like all of you guys. So, of course, it, it occupies a little bit. I have a family here also. So, What I believe is going to happen is that we're, we're, looking, at, uh, at le- we're looking at curfews like this for at the minimum of six weeks. I, there's no way that we are not, that six weeks is the bare minimum. I mean, it could go on beyond six weeks, but after six weeks, I think that people, there'll just be too much hemorrhaging of the economy. And within six weeks, it's hopefully um, testing supplies and ventilators will be a better situation. So after six weeks, what I believe is they will remove the curfew, kind of curfew, sheltered at home, they call it. They don't use the word curfew. Sheltered at home and people will be asked to live their normal lives again. And then the number of cases will start increasing again. But at that point of time, they will have. And then when it starts increasing above a certain number, they'll again do the shelter at home. So it'll be a release and hold. But every time this hold happens, hopefully you will be converging to a solution because you will by that time have more supplies. You will by that time have more masks for healthcare of professionals. Now, some people are saying you're not going to have masks. You're not going to have, for me, again, obviously you can say, you know, everything is fucked. So nothing's going to happen. This is, it's going to end up with like walking dead, but being rational, the market is, the, the, the market is such that it's going to happen. Okay. If you have companies which know that there is a massive shortfall of ventilators. And right now at this point of time, you will sell your ventilators straight to the government. Okay, you're not selling it to hospitals. You're not, they're not going to bargain. Whatever is the maximum retail price on the ventilator, you're going to get, right? Okay, normally what happens is when hospitals, they don't buy equipment as a hospital. They buy it in this network of, let's say, a thousand or hundred, five hundred hospitals, which means they have enormous bargaining power. At this point of time, there is no bargaining power for anyone. So given that the market is definitely going to set in, the market is going to come. This is just too much money to be made 
for people to just sit back. So this is again, there, there are certain cases in which the market does work. That's why I'm not a socialist. But there are certain places where market does, doesn't work. And that was what I was talking about before. It doesn't work for government functions. But this is where the market will work. If you give uh, the country six weeks or eight weeks, then I'm pretty sure that some of the immediate exigencies will be mitigated to an extent. I'm not saying that it'll, there'll, be so, there'll be solutions. It'll be 100% good, but it's right now there's nothing almost. Um, in six or eight weeks, I think you will have something. So I also hope that in six to eight weeks, you'll have a downward, that ratio of people getting infected will slip slightly below one. At that point of time, you will release the hold. You will let people mix. You will hopefully be able to, since you have tested more, you will hopefully know who your pop, who are infected. You can actually ask them to be monitored. You can isolate them. And again, this is where personal responsibility has to come in. I mean, you can either abrogate all your rights to the government and behave like a five-year-old, or you can say that, look, I will behave like an adult. The problem when I'm coming to India is that in India, we have the worst of both. If the government tries to act authoritarian, all the libertarians all the libertarians and uh, you know Gupta Ankalji's and all those people will start protesting that the government is taking away our rights, blah blah blah. But again, the people aren't aren't coming up and saying no. We we will behave like adults. I mean, Kanika Kapoor isn't an isolatory. It's not you know, one person. There's multiple multiple incidents of people. There's been some 18 year old who's a son of an IS officer or uh, you know in 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 Bengal who came back from London and then merrily was a COVID-19 and merrily spread the COVID-19 around everywhere. And of course, because his mother is influential, there was no check or balance on. So that is the thing. You either have an authoritarian state where everybody comes in and you put a handcuff on them and you throw them into one place. That's okay. You're behaving like a five-year-old. The government is behaving like an adult. Or the government says, okay, we trust you to behave like adults, which is what the, the, the nouveau rich class in India wants the government to do. They want the Modi government, they want every government to be like that. And Modi government, Mamata government, they want all the governments to treat them as adults, but they can't behave as adults, unfortunately. Many people cannot behave as adults. So at that point of time, you have to have, you, the government has to be authoritarian at that point of time. Otherwise, the weakest in the section who apparently the nouveau rich liberals really care for, they're the ones who are going to die. Now, one thing that I wanted to talk because somebody brought it up, is it racist to call it China flu, given that we call it the Spanish flu? Now, ideally, um, it shouldn't matter. I mean, if the flu came from China, you call it a China flu, you know, if you call it a Spanish flu. But the fact is that of all the fucking, sh- sh- I, I hope I can use one fuck in, that's two already. Extraordinary times. Podcast, extraordinary times. This is COVID-19, so I, I used to. Um, the fact is that is it there's something which I say many times in my there's one thing is can you do it and there's another thing is should you do it and this is definitely not the time when we should be doing it because with a global pandemic there is no way this problem is going to go away if we also layer inter-country politics onto it this is the time when everybody should honestly be very nice to each other 
जो गंदापन करना है बाद में करो इफ यू सर्वाइव देन डू इट बट नॉट नाउ दिस इज द लास्ट दिस इज यू टॉक अबाउट ह्यूमैनिटी यूनाइटिंग this is the time when honestly then don't this is not a question of imagine and john lennon but this is the time that people have to unite for their own survival remember this is how societies actually came into being now i this is a book that i want to write at some point of time which is the sequel of me i have your attention please so maybe i'm giving a spoiler for that but this this is one of the thesis of that book is that when people came together as a society you know the the, the state of the jungle raj where people wandered about and you know killed bears that was a that was a situation of great individual liberty that was a libertarian heaven there was no aadhar nobody knew what your name was nobody had any data on you you walked around you killed bears or the bear killed you now people realized at this point of at some point of time that this is not a particularly nice way of living not only can i be killed by a bear i can be killed by the stronger guy standing next to me so they decided to form societies they decided to make rules they decided to sacrifice their individual liberties note the fact that i am shouting these words they decided to sacrifice their individual liberties they decided to sacrifice the fact that i can say anything i want they they decided to stand for a flag they decided to do these stupid things just to show respect to other people basically saying please don't come and kill me they decided not to eat a cow they decided they took a lot of random decisions which don't really make a sense just for societal acceptance so that they could live in a society so that when somebody comes for me the guy who stand the guy who stays next to me will come and stand in front of my door that is the reason why because he and i have a shared value that is why people took this decision and over as we have progressed people have kind of forgotten that they have forgotten the how we are dependent on the guys who live next to us and we have become increasingly individualistic we have become we will not share our data we will not do this we will not sign up with aadhar kagaz nahi dikhayenge i mean this is the height of that now this is where the world comes back and gives you a tight slap that this is what happens jab kagaz nahi dikhaoge so the kagaz dam dikhaoge will be your death certificate this is what's going to happen so this this is the time when it is important that we stand we, we don't we have differences but this is the time when we exercise that wisdom that our ancestors from thousands of years ago did that if you have something that you don't like about me shut the up for right now at least pretend that you like me for some time before this till this existential threat is away and then you can come back and we can start bickering again but at least for now let's not try to make the shit more complicated by calling it the china flu there's no reason for doing that that trump does because he's an idiot and because he's still trying to cater to his nationalist white nationalist base that's the main reason that xenophobic base he still ha- he still thinks that this is what's going to win him the election so yes i would avoid calling it the china flu and then there's you have to understand the fact that there is this the total real politic the total real politic is that china won believe it or not china has won in the end the winner is china because remember beijing and shanghai didn't become hot spots unlike new york and la which are the nerve centers and the industry centers of the us the mac the pressure is where it's the pressure in the us is 
in the exact two places which is really the the core of their economy the bay area los angeles hollywood and wall street the three places these three places are the ones which are under the most severe attack compare it with china beijing and shanghai as far as i know virtually nothing so china is like yes it happened in wuhan and this is the part where china has gotten up like shahrukh khan i mean he's bloodied and lips are shaking and he's just running ra- to ram the iron rod into the body of us madan <laughs> chopra this is that part okay it's got up you know it it took it for the first time but ultimately madan chopra started started laughing before the game was over he didn't see that the iron rod that he put in can has another end so be nice to china at this point of time this was said is you know should you i mean could you be not nice sure you can should you that's a different thing be nice to china because they're the ones who actually have taken leadership at this point of time the us has abdicated leadership under trump the moment we the, the moment the us gov the us citizens they basically gave up the leadership that the us had in the world nobody trusts us anymore everybody knows that it's led by a buffoon so the leadership has been taken by china right now why is china the leader why not let's say angela merkel because angela merkel is going to be facing the exact same shit that the us is going to at this point of time china has things under control and you can say they're lying and everything but that's fine that's their authority in society they can do whatever they want but the fact is beijing and shanghai didn't shut down which means in a way it's good for the world because let's face it no matter what you say about china everything that's sitting in front of me right now has come from china in some form of the other so china that's why i think that the economic impact to this i know that you know people's 401k's and retirement savings have all been wiped out but they will come back within 2 years because there's fundamentally nothing wrong with the market it's not like 2008 or 2009 when the fundamentals on which the entire structure was based the loans were based was turned into junk just vanished like thanos's finger it was just gone that in 2008 there was a massive structural uh, there was a structural problem with the with the whole economy which is why it took so long to recover i don't think there is a structural problem as of now i think that most of the effects there will be severe effects but those effects will be transient they will go away once people have some control over this so i don't think that the economic impacts will be long term this is but of course the economic impact will be more severe on those who live paycheck to paycheck of course but for those of us fortunate enough to have savings to last out a year or something it we will ultimately the jobs are not going to go away even the hospitality jobs nothing is going to go away as i read somewhere these hotels many of these hotels are you know people who work there they are being asked not to come to work but they're not being removed of the payrolls they're being given zero hours as work because and those people are pissed because if they were fired then they they could get unemployment insurance but they're not being fired their their hours are being made to zero which means they're technically on the books and why is and 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 why are the hotels and why are they doing it they're doing it because they know that the moment the at the moment the curfew goes they will immediately need to hire those guys back it's not that the demand for tourism or the demand for the hotels have decreased 
at that point of time, as you as you very well know, hiring new people is expensive and it takes time to hire new people. So they don't want to let those guys go. That's the problem. Those guys would like to be let go. At least they would get unemployment insurance, but they're not being let go. So this is a very different situation than it was. Now, I'm not saying that some people won't be let go as this thing goes on. But I'm again saying that re-employment at the same places will not be a problem. Again, that doesn't make the situation any any the better for those people who are going to be affected. Finally, let's come to India. So what do I think is what's going to happen to India? Well, first of all, India can count on its comparative isolation as a blessing. So unlike many of the other countries like Western Europe, it's India is not that cosmopolitan. So it's, but the problem is not with foreigners, it's with Indians coming back from other countries, right? Right now, that is the problem. And that is comparatively lesser. You know, if you if you look at sheer number of people in US who come from other countries, that's way more than the number of people who come from other countries to India. People come to US for business, to study. India, there's not so many people. So, you know, that's why the numbers in Pakistan, Sri Lanka, India, they're comparatively less because not a lot of people from outside come in but then there are expatriates and it has taken time for the expatriates to come back. So that's why the curve is shifted to the right. So that's why we don't have a lot of, but one thing that I would say is that I've been, and I was talking to my parents and I was told that, you know, that, that in Bengal, the, you know, the Mamata Banji government is doing quite well in terms of the outreach to people in terms of, like with people are coming back, the cops are coming regularly to check on them. Again, individual libert- libertarians and people might be a little pissed on this. How, why should we tell them where we are going? But so um, that is happening. And this is a good thing. But India is also let's not forget that India has several other things working against it. One is, of course, and we started off with is population density. I mean, if I'm, if, if Los Angeles has high population density, well, they haven't gone to Mumbai then. So again, the chances that you will touch the same thing as a COVID positive person is much higher in India, in any place. So that is going to work against, so once, it and so the only thing that the government can do is try to control it before it hits that critical mass. Once it hits that critical mass, the density will take care of the rest in a bad way. The second thing, which I perhaps I'm even more concerned with, is that it's a population that no matter what you tell them to do, they will not do it. Because there is a tendency to blame everything for the on the government. It's the government is supposed to again. This is an, another country which government my bab hai. I am a little boy, little girl. This attitude, this again, it's it's not an authoritarian country. Contrary to what people think, it is less authoritarian than it was during Indira Gandhi's time and Nehru's time also. So that structure has gone down. But then people also need to step up. They need to, this has to be a more a Japan kind of effort, a more community kind of effort. But I mean, having I mean, it's you know, I, 
I hear and I see people staring, you know, sharing screenshots of young people saying, "Government, today Modi did this. Let's all go and have a party just to show the middle finger to Modi." So this this kind of attitude, I don't think, is in any other country. I don't think even the most hardened Democrats, even the most even Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. will not just say trump is in power let's to show him a middle finger let's go and have a party of a thousand people in brooklyn she will never say that so this is when when i say some when people try to compare the right wing and the left wing in india with the us but this is this is again in a place where they're not comparable they're just not even the left most left person in the us would still not do or say the same things that people in india say you know the fact that you still have shahin bagh there the fact that the people still support the fact that people there can sit there and that is apparently the government's fault this this is not something which can happen at least as i know in any other nation and that is what scares me the most that there are people here who hate modi and the government so much that they will do precisely opposite of what he tells them to do because the people they wanted in power did not get elected and the tragedy is i'm okay with if you do it and then you suffer but the people who will suffer will be people like my parents who have nothing to do with this but they are in that age group where they are very susceptible these are the people who are going to die i'm not i'm really not sugar coating this this is the people these are the people who are going to die there's no other way they're going to die and the people who are who are showing the middle finger to modi the the cool uh, stand up comics these nothing are going to happen to them that's why they're doing it if those if those people were 65 years old with underlying health conditions they wouldn't be saying it they would be hunkering down in their bedrooms and locking doors but they're not i mean they're smart enough people to read and realize that they what's going to happen to them? nothing so this is what scares me more i think that the government response has been okay if you want to if people want to compare the us government response with the indian government response or the canadian government response well first of all india is not us india is not canada i mean what, what where did you get this of course we don't have that level of resources that they that that us or canada has and even with this resources the us is royally screwing itself up so it's not even a question of resources but I mean, I can only speak for Bengal because that's where I pe- speak to people on ground. And all of you know that I am not a huge fan of Mamata Banerjee, but she is doing a good job. And this is coming from people who are against Mamata Banerjee. They're telling me no, but they have done a pretty good job so far. You know, they've been very, very proactive, and she's really been on, you know, in control. But she, they say there are a lot of people, and it's often also not political. They just feel, oh my goodness, all the fun is going to stop. Oh, let's. let's go out and you know just do it before they stop everything before they stop everything let's go and like meet once and i mean that that is the this is that this is the time in which faced with with this, for the want of a better word a civilizational crisis this is the time for indians to grow up basically for a generation to grow up i i mean i there's this one thing there's there are two problems one is with you know older adults the one is with my father's generation actually because 
for many of them it's not a question about giving a middle finger to modi or anything for them it is just that they grew up with a different conception of risk i mean they grew up in a place where they had to go to office while <coughs> hanging off a like a bus the ledge of a bus you they let us play in the streets with cars you know driving around i mean they, they did things which we i wouldn't dare to do but it was just that that was considered to be their risk acceptance was much higher they felt that you know if you don't do this then there's no life you can't live right so and i see that as you know i see the next generation of people their tolerance of risk is even high, is even lower i would say so for them they think that okay theek hai chalo there one more one more thing to die from so and again the, the only way you can the only way for all of us uh to do this is for us to talk to our parents talk to your grandparents talk to your uncles and try to explain to them using your own emotional capital that why they shouldn't do it again for them it's i i i have more sympathy for them because it's not that they're trying to make a point it's just that they they just don't get it and they don't get it because they've lived for they've lived this is a part of our internal decision making process it's wired into our brain and if you something has been you wired in your brain for 65 years it's very difficult to change that right it's a model which has worked for you for 65 years and you're still alive so you tend to believe in that mental model of how the world works but the fact that again the leading thing that you know the only thing that you can explain is that you in your 65 years of living you haven't encountered anything quite like this the last time it was something like this happened was 1918 and i don't think any of you are that old either so it's it's that's the conversation you need to have that yes you have seen you've seen much more of the world than we have that's true but you haven't seen this either no none of us have seen this in this generation i mean nobody's alive who's ever seen something like this so we're talking about something which is game changing in 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 many ways and that's the thing as to the 20 somethings the, the the people who want to do this as a you know a fuck you to modi i mean there's nothing you can tell them actually there's nothing to tell them i mean all you can say is you know what what can i say and that's really worries me because this, these people are not it's not that they, this is something which is inbuilt into their you know brain this is not something which has worked for 65 years they, these people are you know there's this this there's nothing you can do with them actually and that that's what worries me because you know these people are going to live for the next few months in a consequence free manner i mean i'm perfectly fine if you take wrong decisions and you end up paying for it that's adulting you take shit decisions you pay for it but the fact is they will take shit decisions and my parents generation will pay for it people with pre-existing conditions people with diabetes people with hypertension people with lupus people recovering from cancer people with cancer they're going to pay for it this is maddening and i wish i had a solution for this but i don't and i was trying not to end this podcast with anything negative but unfortunately leaving india was not perhaps a good idea till the end because i had to end with something which was a bit of a downer and the reason why i don't want to end with a bit of a downer is because let's accept it we are we are living in very very difficult times i honestly want to believe that we will get out of this and we will get out of this but not all of us who are here today will be on the other side 
I also don't want to lie about that. We the people we will know people who are not going to make it to the end. So this is serious, but we all know that. And if you if you don't know that yet, I urge you to educate yourself to understand the gravity of the situation. But 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 and this is important. But because of that, we cannot stop living for the moment, because. it is very important it's perhaps even more important given what we are facing now is to savor every moment of our lives it is very important and that's why i don't want i mean it's it's very easy to be despondent especially when you're cut off from the world you're not talking to people i mean yes it's not same as skyping and 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 and, and i understand i mean i i'm feeling it myself i i i have been i mean i won't lie to you i've been shit scared There's, there's no, there is no other way that I can put it. I'm shit scared for my parents. I'm shit scared for myself. I'm shit scared for my family. But, and what can I do at this point of time? I, I mean, being shit scared becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. I can't underestimate. But I, as I said, I started with the numbers, and the numbers, they, they shit scared you. But you have to take a step back and say, no wait. let the panic wash over me for a few seconds and then let me put on my scientist hat and try to look at what exactly is the data telling me and it it doesn't tell me anything at this point of time and that could be a blessing or it could be a curse and that's really the and from a and from a disease tracking perspective i think that's the biggest challenge none of the data that's coming out is particularly actionable so people are basically taking decisions without the adequate data to take and maybe that is the biggest problem right now so i hope that the ne- that over the weeks we have more testing i honestly don't see how we can solve this problem without testing and without tracing um i think there needs to be and this is the positive thing that i need to and i want to end with is that we blame the government for a lot of things but this is the time when ultimately yes yeah, sure we are you're dependent on the infrastructure that your government gives you but there is also a large part of this which is in our hands in 2008 and 2009 when the world economy felt what what could we have done nothing banks took shitty decisions our you know they blasted through our retirement savings There's nothing we could have done but at least here at least here you have something that you can do so here's what you can do besides the you know the stuff that you know is wash your hands and stuff but here's one thing you can do be considerate stop acting like an asshole don't go and buy everything you can at a store just because it's there because remember this is this the this is one of the things where it's thinking of other people which kind of brings me back again to the way that society was formed is that this thinking about other people isn't just i am being a nice person it's what's saving you if at this point of time you become that individualistic ideal of the western libertarian this is the wrong time to be that there might be good times to be that there might be good times when using a greedy algorithm you want to maximize your own outcomes but this is not that use case for now it's important that you also think of other people in your community because if they fall sick you are going to do your fate is now connected 
to your individual community. So don't be an asshole. I know it's difficult for some people not to be an asshole, but try not to be. Try not to hoard food. There is no reason why there will be a food shortage. There will be a food shortage, of course, if people go and buy like sacks of rice and they clean that. Because you see, the people who, this is the thing, the people who are mobbing the stores are young people for whom nothing will happen. Most of that food will rot in their homes or they will not have to go for shopping for months. But the people that really need the food, the old people, that in any case, many of them are going to die if this goes on. And you're helping them die by clearing the shops out. You're making them walk out from store to store, trying to find what they need in order to survive. And the more they walk from one store to store, the more their chances of being exposed to COVID-19 becomes. That is what your selfishness is causing. And you may, again, you may think that this does not affect you because you're healthy, you're, you're in that age group, but ultimately it will because of the very nature of this crisis, it will come back. And if you, you might not care for your parents, you might not care. Or again, I wouldn't say again, it's not the question if people don't care for their parents or they don't care for the relatives. It's just they don't think of it in those terms. Those mass number of people who are talking about showing a middle finger to Modi this Sunday and you know breaking, I, do, I don't think it's that they, they hate their parents or they, they, they're just not thinking of it. They're not, they're, the hatred of, Narendra Modi has so blinded them that they are not. And again, hate is hatred is such a it is an emotion like that that it blinds us to our own interests. It blinds us to people we love. You know that singular impulse of hatred. It's that strong. And this is everybody knows it. And for for the sake of hatred, people you know do something in a second that they regret all their lives. And so then this is nothing like that. But I'm just saying that the only positive thing is that it's in your, it's a lot of this is in your hands. It's, it's, it's how you behave, how you follow rules. And this is particularly true for my listeners in India is that because, because of the nature of our government, because of the laxness of our government, ultimately it is going to be you and the community, which will have to take care of each other. When we were growing up, and it's a long time, I mean, I'm, I'm, 40, I'm 44, going to be 45. I mean, I still remember, and, and I've seen it kind of decay in front of my eyes in Calcutta, which is the community, the para. It started out with the para being an extended family. And I saw it in front of my eyes that ultimately it all degenerated to now that people don't even know the name of the person who lives next door. I mean, I cannot imagine. Uh, growing up, that that would be ever be the case. But now I go in and nobody knows who lives in that house there. Or oh, somebody lives in, I sometimes see this, I think he works in so-and-so. I don't know his name. I've sometimes, this would never happen. Because of this, there is no connection. Nobody feels a connection to the people around them because they don't even know their names. How will you feel connection? Now, in a place like the US, it kind of works. I also don't know who my neighbors are. But it works because of some of the infrastructure that we have over here. But in India, it wasn't set up like that. It was set up where the community looked after other people. 
And sometimes it was a problem because the community would judge you for your life choices. And that was really the reason why people kind of distanced themselves from the community because they didn't want to be judged for their life choices by quote unquote strangers. But again, while that definitely has its advantages, these are the times in which you realize that this is a disadvantage. The fact that, I mean, my parents lived there and I know that perhaps uh, 40 years ago, I wouldn't, I mean, again, I wouldn't have been this old 40 years ago, but uh, I would more trust on the community to take it, to take care. And my parents would take care of the community and, and, and vice versa. But now I don't, I know they're pretty alone there. And I know I cannot go back right now because the borders have been sealed everywhere. So again, what I say is not for me, it's for many people who must be going through the exact same thing. And Again, the thing is, it's your behavior in the next few months that is going to determine, perhaps it's too dramatic to say whether you live or die, but definitely it will influence the way other people, many people who you will never know whether they live or die. So we are in a very unique and strange times. We can see it as something like the end of days, but it's not. It's, It's a time when we are... At the forefront, we, we have given a unique opportunity. It's like being in a world war where you can be heroes, where you, you, have, you have the control of your own destiny and the destiny of others. So take it for what you will. And, uh, you know, everybody stay safe. Um, everybody stay together. Uh, talk to other people. Don't try to fight. Um, we, we, we will, if, if we get through this, we'll have many years to fight each other on different things. So let's not do that now. And let's try to think, try to think of why communities and societies were formed, why individual liberties were sacrificed in the cause of something bigger. And now we are faced with something for which there can be no, nothing bigger than what we now face. So thank you, everybody, for listening. All right. Uh, like, uh, I, I guess that's our podcast for today. And uh, while there will be a cure for COVID, I don't see uh, any cure for stupidity anytime. So let's not be COVID yet, as, as, as the hashtag is trending these days. And uh, before we leave, a teeny tiny little bit of good news. Many of our listeners have been asking for the podcast to be available on YouTube. It now is. No, it's still not video, but it's an audiogram. So if you choose to, you can listen to it on YouTube and uh, baby steps uh, so just head over to youtube.com slash talking stuff podcasts that's p-o-d-c-a-s-t-s talking stuff podcasts to subscribe and uh, until next time stay isolated and stay safe stay safe man everybody stay safe stay isolated and look after each other and fourth don't try not to fight okay this few months <laughs>